Welcome to the Human Enhancement Podcast. I'm really excited to have in-house today, Malia Robinson, a senior reporter with Business Insider. And I think she's really made a claim to fame with really covering all things innovation from biohacking to the, the, the growing marijuana business to, I, I think, just going through your story list, you know, recently, going from like, you know, the weird culture of Silicon Valley to just weird culture happening in the 21st century. Yeah. How would you describe like, your beat? I'm, I'm living vicariously through all the San Franciscans who make more money than I do, I think. <laughs> um, so I bounced around beats several times since joining Business Insider. Been there four years now. But currently I cover the culture of the San Francisco Bay Area, which includes Silicon Valley. So it's about how techies eat, sleep, shop, spend their money, uh, enhance their mind and bodies, re-biohacking. And I've also covered legal marijuana, as you mentioned, as sort of part of that. And I am a big fan of uh, using my body for weird experiments uh, (laughs) on behalf of our readers. I I know there's some interesting stories around a ketogenic diet and we have Soylent in front of us and let's get into that. So what is your background? Where did you grow up? Did you you grow up in the Bay Area? No, um, I couldn't be further from it, I guess. I grew up in New Hampshire in a small town about an hour north of Boston, which is like we have civilization there. Like it's not, we had more people than cows. Um, But I always wanted to be a reporter my entire life and I think I was really lucky in that way because I had so many friends who through school, you know, were still trying to figure it out. I mean, I think most people still don't know what they're doing, yeah. right? I just wanted this so badly. I loved talking to people. I always asked too many questions. <laughs> and uh, I went to Syracuse University and studied magazine journalism uh, and information management and technology. So it was kind of a, a mix of what I wanted to write about and how to write. Um, and I started out in our New York office. For Business Insider. For Business Insider. Okay. Yeah, I uh, actually got the gig out of college. Um, we had recruiters come to a career fair, and they hired a bunch of us out of Syracuse. We have like a little mafia going okay. FBI. Um, I mean, it's interesting that for the folks that are interested in the journalism or reporting path, I mean, did you like blog in, while you're in school, or was it sort of like how did you end? I mean, I know it's not easy to like break in. To break in. Yeah. yeah um, I didn't blog through school, but I was like very much embedded in our student publications. I like worked for several doing like writing and then I was editor in chief of our school's cultural magazine, 360 Degrees. (laughs) Uh, Shout out. Shout out to the college (laughs) days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I tried to like, you know, get as many clips from the real world as possible. I, uh, went to New York City about every summer through school and tried to get internships. And I had some weird ones. Uh, My first internship was at Every Day with Rachel Ray magazine. Okay. Um, Do you know who Rachel Ray is? Uh, The the celebrity chef. Yeah, okay. I remember her getting some trouble with some non-PC stuff. Or is that someone else? You might be thinking of Paula Deen. Maybe, okay. Okay, um, maybe Rachel Ray's not, not I think not Rachel's cool. Okay, okay. Um, but <laughs> she was like my first foray into magazine journalism writing. And at that time, I was just doing like uh, subscriber newsletters okay. and research for stories. The next summer, I went to O oh, the Oprah magazine, okay. which is like a step up in like celebrity icon right. yeah. publications. Um, <laughs> and I did see Oprah once. It was like the highlight of my did career. She look, did she look at you? Did she I say know. hi to you? 
what what was a tipping point to go sort of more into your current beat how did it transition mm. from entertainment to i know i think i heard a little bit of the story of how you started getting into sort of biohacking and interesting foods yeah i mean i'd love to hear that story i mean yeah, you have, you have so in it right in right in front of us right um here. So I moved into an innovation beat a couple years later, and then it was really an umbrella term, and I struggled yeah. because I I wasn't, you know, making really strong source relationships like I'd hoped in part because I think I wasn't an expert in any given area. I was just, like, spreading myself too thin. And, you know, so I was trying to hunt down a beat that I could really own, that I was really interested in. Uh one of the first that really made me passionate was legal marijuana. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I was in a marijuana dispensary reporting an article. This was in Colorado probably at the time? In California. Okay. Um, It was a medical marijuana dispensary. But not just any marijuana uh, dispensary, but the Apple store of pot shops. It had, like, made headlines for its smart design. And so I was doing a story there, and about 10 minutes in – you know, the guy's like taking bud out of the cases and I'm photographing it and getting the tour. And I started to feel really lightheaded. Um, you I, didn't eat anything. You weren't smoking I think anything. I, I wasn't smoking anything. <laughs> I did have breakfast. Okay. But um, I think I was probably really dehydrated. I started getting tunnel vision. I could see the guy was talking and I couldn't hear anything. And You're like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? And I passed out. Oh, gee. I fell face forward on the cement floor. And I broke my jaw in three places. Wow. Which I like to think is the closest I'll ever be to becoming Kanye West, who famously broke his jaw in three places after surviving a near-fatal car accident in 2002. There's a song about it. <laughs> um, and what followed was I had a surgery to reconstruct my jaw. And I had my mouth wired shut for about six weeks. So I didn't have a lot of options for what to eat then. Um, I was, you know, I had a Nutribullet system and I was blending lasagna and omelets and chicken pad thai and like all sorts of things you you would never want to see pureed. Um, And it was getting exhausting because I was having to like clean my blender like six times a day, uh, having these like really small meals through a straw. And my boyfriend who worked in the tech industry recommended that I try Soylent, which I'd had before in the powdered version and hated and have like photos of me gagging on it because I thought it tasted like chalk paste. Um, But I gave it a try. By then, Soylent 2.0 had come out, which was their bottled version. And I started only drinking Soylent, about like six bottles a day. And just to paint a picture, at this time in my life, I was like in a really dark place. I uh, was hopped up on all these pain medications. You know, I wasn't eating enough, so my energy was really down. And I was having really severe panic attacks because I was so nervous that I was going to pass out again. And I was like scared to leave the house. Um, I had taken time off of work during my recovery. And in that time, Soylent became this like island unto itself. It was the one thing in my life that I didn't have to think about. There was no preparation, no cleanup. I knew that, you know, with every bottle I was getting, you know, 20 grams of protein and 20% of my daily nutritional needs. And I started never leaving the house without it. It went with me on trains 
and to uh, doctor's appointments. I had a very ill-timed trip to Florida, and I, like, shipped cases of Soylent to my hotel ahead of time, so I knew I would, like, have it. Because your mouth was just wired shut, like, you just couldn't eat anything I couldn't eat anything. Right. Um, And I became obsessed with it, and I think more importantly is it made me feel really empowered. I was, like, making this quirky food choice, like, living off of a meal replacement shake, but it made me feel good, and I felt like it served me. And so... Rob and the Slant team should take this clip and look on their <laughs> I website. Know, I know. <laughs> um, and so I think at that point, I kind of had this aha moment. Until then, I thought biohacking was something that was reserved for people who wanted to, like, implant antennas in their head to hear color and yeah we had neil harbison the, the guy okay, who did that the on, human on our program cyborg. yes awesome or like you know people putting chips in their fingers to like unlock doors yep. and i i dismissed it as like this weird silicon valley thing right and soylent showed me that there's room for everyone in biohacking that we can make like simple choices to be smarter and stronger and healthier every day and so I'm like a Soylent lifer now. I mean, I eat other food now for sure. <laughs> I eat other food now, but I still have Soylent every day for breakfast. And uh, after that experience, I just, you know, I became more empathetic, I think, with the biohacking community. I wanted to embed myself and learn more about, you know, what decisions they made that other people raise their eyebrows out. But you know, I guessed from my experience made them feel really good. And right. I wanted to, you know, like bring a voice to to their interests, yeah. I guess. Interesting. So that's kind of how I got into biohacking. And, you know, one of the first companies I covered was actually Human back when it was Nutribox. Yeah. In 2015, I wrote about um, GoCubes when they right. launched and I think when they went to Amazon. And that was like kind of on the same spectrum as Soylent for me in that it was something – that I think cater to everyone, like everyone eats, everyone drinks coffee. Um, and you could use biology and technology to serve yourself better. Right. It's like a little bit like, how do we re-engineer something that, well, I guess is more, is more of like an automatic cultural phenomenon. And how do we optimize it for like the, like a modern use case is essentially yeah. a little bit of like the biohacking in the broad consumer sense. Right. I, yeah. I think I, the way I think about it is that, Computers weren't necessarily designed for everyone 30, 40 years ago. Mm. But there are, it, it yeah. needs to be a progression to bring these concepts that's accessible to everyone. Yeah, it's like not so much a dark web thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, you know, these companies to look at that are hiring scientists on their team yeah. and like doing the research. Yeah. And it it's, there's like a level of accountability that makes it like presentable for a mainstream audience <laughs> so um, what do you i mean but I, I would say sometimes the most interesting stories are like the dark web crazy people <laughs> like in, in your in your reporting have you met I mean, i'm just curious like the spectrum of folks mm. you talk to like were there any instances where you're like whoa these people are super shady yeah. <laughs> but like super interesting um oh i don't want to like talk smack but, but uh, or there's just high level the only name names but just like the concepts okay. or um, I think that there are maybe some companies in biohacking that 
like rely too heavily on their own like in-house studies to promote their product um you know i think one of the most like widely publicized cases of this is like bulletproof coffee Mm -hmm. um who uh, Dave Asprey, their founder, has you know built this multi-million-dollar empire on one thing, uh, buttered coffee, yeah. and from there it spawned best-selling books and conferences, and they now have a line of cafes that are coming to uh, LA and I want to say New York. Um, and I would just love to see from these uh, more cutting-edge biohackers a little more transparency, I guess, and in, in you know what evidence they have to support their claims. Um, But probably one of my earliest exposures to like a more niche, um, a niche biohack community was going to a WeFast breakfast. Our fasting community. Yeah. I know a lot of our listeners are, 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 were part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, um, was it Kara Swisher who first wrote about you guys for BuzzFeed? No, no, no. That wouldn't have been it. Um, Um, Natasha. Yeah, Tiku. Natasha Tiku yeah. wrote about it. Thank you. Um, and I read her story. I was like blown away. Um, one thing I try to do differently is bring visuals to my story. I'm yeah. um, like an amateur photographer. And I think I had approached you and uh, your co-founder, Mike, about coming to a WeFast meeting because I wanted to – talk to these people and document them through my camera and uh intermittent fasting is like a hack that i have never tried on my own but is endlessly fascinating to me (laughs) um have you not tried fasting since then or i've never tried fasting um i i'm really freaked out (laughs) That I'm going to pass out from not okay. eating. Okay. Well, probably because I have that like personal history of right. passing out once and breaking my job. But uh, it's it's I've written about it several times. And I know that some of the biggest names in tech are obsessed with it. Like I just read a story about um, Phil Lippin, the former CEO of Evernote, yeah. who runs a AI startup now. He fasts intermittently. Um, he does pretty long fast. So we've become... F- friends oh, really? recently yeah he's he does like three four day fast pretty continuously he's getting into like the blood measurements of measuring yeah. his you know his his ketones and glucose wow. he's he's like true full believer yeah so okay also another big concern i have about intermittent fasting is i'm like very prone to hangriness yeah had had hangriness like been an issue for you before you started intermittent uh, fasting Yes. So, I mean, I think when I first started fasting, um, I don't want to, well, I like how your reporter instincts kick in. <laughs> now it's a question to me. Um, uh, yeah, I grew up in, a, in a, you know, kind of having a quick, fairly quick metabolism, was generally a thinner person, would like lose weight if it wasn't exercising and trying to eat a lot. So when I first heard about fasting, this is about two, two years ago now, it was like, yeah, like this is insane. Like, why would I like starve myself, get weaker? Yeah. Um, I want, I want snacks. We're all used to snacking. Yes. Um, but you know, we committed to it. Paul, um, one of our colleagues or, or, or second employee was like, Hey, interesting data around, uh, longevity out of USC research, mm-hmm. interesting data, uh, a Ted talk from, uh, 
from a King's College researcher, Dr. Sandrine Tourette. She's really into neurogenesis, growing new mm. neurons. There's really interesting data around fasting to grow new neurons. It's like, okay, um, this sounds like it will suck, but you know, we're <laughs> biohackers. We can we can experiment and play with it. And yeah, yeah admittedly, the first couple times was just hard because your body is so used to having, you know, constant sort of glucose constant insulin spikes and then you're taking that away it's like whoa what's going on yeah but i think the third fourth time fasting it ended up being uh i mean we nicknamed one of the fasts like the 36 hour fast a monk fast because it felt very sort of calm yeah and i know you started doing a ketogenic diet so i want to get into that so they're like very related in in some ways i actually i mean i learned about the ketogenic diet after going to a we fast uh meeting and so the hangriness, like, like, did you get hangry on a ketogenic diet? It was just like, I'm just actually curious because like on a ketogenic diet, you're taking your glucose load very, very yeah. low. Yeah. So you're probably not drinking too much soylent. I don't know if you were drinking. I wasn't like, drinking soylent. Right. That was one of the hardest adjustments. Yeah. So so um, I know like that kind of macronutrient ratio change yeah. shifts your metabolism in a, in a way where um, there probably was some carbohydrate withdrawal. Yeah. And then as you get more used to using fats and ketones as fuel, yeah. sort of rebalance that yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, this is a very steady mental state. Yeah. Well, let me just back up and say, I yeah. remember when I went to the We Fast breakfast, I had this thought that like, if I were to fast for 36 hours, the first thing I'd want <laughs> is like a plate of fried chicken and waffles, <laughs> like drenched in maple syrup yeah. and, you know, big, creamy, sugary cup of coffee. Right. And no one ordered like the grand slam at this restaurant you guys were at like everyone was just eating eggs and bacon and i was like oh that's like fun but that's like not super indulgent like you guys just fasted for 36 hours treat yourself (laughs) and uh we we used to start like that like oh really the first two three times we fasted and this is just our team because we didn't have like a community just like us like yeah oh we you know we yeah we had the pancakes and waffles okay (laughs) and then and then we realized that we felt like freaking like we just went like Super, we are super clean yeah. and we went ba-bam, yeah. like just carb overload. Yeah. So what I learned from talking to people at that meeting was that a high-fat meal kind of helps ease you out of the fast right. and and keep your ketone production high. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm probably not ready to commit to intermittent <laughs> fasting yet, but like I could eat eggs and bacon. Yeah. Um, And I have been someone who's tried like – every fad diet i think imaginable and uh well, my like most juicing like uh, whole juicing, 30 a lot of people talk about whole 30 yeah that that's stuff. really popular right now yeah. i mean this isn't so when much Kara a fad Trisha but like on i did when i talked to her oh like, really two weeks ago she said, yeah i'm on it's my whole very 30 popular yeah. right now i think it's probably really similar to keto i'm gonna <sighs> guess i think it's well it's like less that's like no refined carbohydrate mm-hmm. i don't i would say it's like i think it's just like mm-hmm. a healthy balanced diet Okay. For like standard American <laughs> diet, it's just like kind of shitty. Right. Or like Whole30 is just like better. And then like keto yeah. is just like cutting out carbs yeah. more extremely. Well, the diet I stuck with the most was Weight Watchers, which I did through college <laughs> okay. and is like, you know, like hashtag basic of diets. But I, I was attracted to the ketogenic diet because um, Weight Watchers like – you know, they use a point system, right? Different foods have different point values right. and you have to stay within this number of points per day. And things like nuts and eggs and cheese were like very severely punished on the Weight Watcher system mm. because they were high fat. Right. 
And I happen to love all those foods. And so the keto diet, ketogenic diet appealed to me because I could eat those things like en masse. Yeah. And uh, when I, you know, I decided really early on that I was going to try it and I was going to write an article about it. So my editor insisted that I like see a doctor to make sure that I was like going to be safe about it. Um, so I teamed up with Dr. Priyanka Wally, yeah. who I think has been on this or, yes. or is friends with you guys. Well, I think, yeah, I, I just, yeah, we had met, I actually met her when I gave a talk at a World Fair NNOSF and she's also like a comedian. So she was like yeah. on the comedy track and, and it was like, she came up afterwards. She's like, I'm, I'm like here for the comedy show, but I'm actually a doctor and you're talking about biohacking and, you know, we should hang out. We should talk. So that's yeah. how we met. She's great. And I knew that, yeah, she was like super, she's like one of the, I think, emerging doctors that is using ketogenic diets yeah. in her practice. So she's like an yeah. internal medicine physician at California Pacific uh, Hospital here in San Francisco. And she works mostly, I think, with people um, who have diabetes or are pre-diabetic. And so she uses the ketogenic diet yeah. um, as part of her treatment. And Similarly, she used herself as a guinea pig first and yeah. like tested it out to make yeah. sure this is something she felt comfortable prescribing. And so I met with her a couple times and we went through like my medical history and she taught me about how to count carbs the right way. You know, I wasn't just looking at the total carbohydrates, but I was subtracting the dietary fiber because that stuff just passes through your system. So it's the net carbs that count. The ne- it's the net yeah. carbs that count. Um, and my first week doing it, she was really nervous about me um, suffering from carbohydrate withdrawal, which you just mentioned, yeah. um, which I think is a real thing because at that point I was eating like 250 grams of carbs a day, like a lot. Yeah, I mean, how much is it in a sandwich? 34. So, yeah. but like I ate a ton of fruit. I love pasta. I love sandwiches, like a lot of carbs. Yeah. So to start, she had me just do breakfast and lunch ketogenic and dinner I could eat normally. And the first week was really still miserable. <laughs> I got a lot of migraines. Okay. Um, And I, I don't know that I was like more cranky than usual, but I thought about food a lot. Like the cravings were so real. And we have these peanut butter filled pretzels in our office that are like my brand of crack. <laughs> and I would like, I'd get up and like go for a handful, like not even thinking about it, right. just like mechanically. And uh, and then have that realization and go sit back to my desk. Um, so what were you eating in that, in that morning and uh, lunch mm, period? So- I had to start waking up earlier. And you were preparing, uh, would like, make eggs, eggs and bacon and avocado. Yeah. I remember, like, fried eggs weren't doing it for me so much by, like, day three. Yeah. And I switched to scrambled. Yeah. Um, but it felt very different to me, those breakfasts, because, I mean, I mean for one, I, I only normally, ever drink soy And normally you were drinking, like, a, a drink, a soylent yeah. 2.0. Yeah. So I was, like eating these really high fat meals for breakfast and sometimes in the beginning I would feel like a little like queasy about it because I think I just wasn't used to eating so right. much fat but did uh, you do any blood work or anything before yeah okay. I did I did okay. like a resting insulin panel and she checked my cholesterol and I and all triglycerides, of my cholesterol like sort of the lipid levels yeah okay. I don't really know what those things mean but like she told me that they were normal okay. so fortunately I like didn't have a ton of room for improvement, I guess, but there's always room. Yeah. Um, but a couple weeks in, 
I started feeling fuller longer in you know instead of my typical lunch which would be a sandwich or um you know I love tender greens that like bougie uh, salad place yeah. but I would order it with like a side of mashed potatoes <laughs> or um even like you know a, a food truck like curry up now for lunch um, instead I was eating a lot of like sad desk salads, uh, okay. with like tons of chicken on it or I, I now every week bring a block of cheese to work and one of the, um, packs of like pre-sliced salami from Whole Foods. Uh, that's your go-to snack. That's now. my go-to snack, cheese and salami. And at the farmer's market on Thursday, there's a a booth that sells like raw nuts and I buy the salted ones and <laughs> that's my other like that's become my peanut butter filled pretzel okay like brand of indulgence um so week two you're going full ketogenic meals every single day yeah by week two and by week two I didn't feel like there was a big noticeable difference and I think started to get really impatient like right. I feel the same but just I'm miss just eating carbs. different stuff yeah yeah um and week two, I started using a um, what do you call the things? Finger pricks. Yeah, I, so I started your finger glucose pricking. and ketone levels. Yeah, I just did ketone level, but I bought okay. the like Abbott Precision Extra Precision Extra device yeah. on Amazon, like from a third party seller. Yeah. And were you scared of pricking yourself? Oh my gosh, yes! <laughs> I remember like the first time I was doing it in the office, and I like kept psyching myself out, like I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. No, and like finally built up the courage, and it kind of does hurt. Like I feel really bad for people who have to do that every day. I'm so used to it now. Yeah, where it's, I'm sure. But like, I think it's it. I I mean, I was just as scared as you in the beginning too. <laughs> like I didn't want to just jab myself. It's mm -hmm. just like, I, I I we played like breath monitors to detect ketone levels, but I think blood is really the way to go. Way and, more and it ends up being just like very quick too. Yeah, it turned out to be like not a big deal. Yeah. Although it did take me forever just to learn like how to use that thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I started like pricking myself and having a, uh, like precise measurement of my ketone production really appealed to me, especially as someone who had done Weight Watchers for right. so many years. Cause I really liked like quantifying track it. Yeah. Right. Like Quant you're subjectively yes. like, I don't know, like maybe I'm just like psyching myself out, but it's like, Hey, your ketones are actually going up. It's yeah. actually, the yeah. macros are actually right. Yeah. So even though. I wasn't seeing like a noticeable noticeable improvement yet in my energy. I right. could start to see the changes on my ketone monitor, right. and and I stuck with it. And I mean, I stuck with it hard. Like I really didn't have many cheats. I remember once eating an individual like personal pizza that was unfortunate. Um, and once my parents came to town, and that was like. Mardi Gras and I just like went to town on everything that they wanted to spoil me with. Right. But it's so like two, um, two times of yeah. carbs out of like two, two months. Two months. I did for two wow. months. And by week four, maybe, it was like a world of difference. I like, like cognitively, like, yeah. Okay. I started to have boundless energy. I would get up in the morning and I just felt like ready to go. I would still have a cup of black coffee or maybe with half and half, but I wouldn't need three more cups of coffee after that. Right. 
Um, and how did your ketone levels evolve through that time? Uh, so I to think give people about... the sense, I mean, if we're eating a normal, typical diet, American diet, we'll be at zero point one, very nominal mm-hmm. levels of ketones. By my second week, I was at zero point four. Okay, and then by about a month in, I peaked at zero point nine. Okay, which it's pretty good. I remember, um, I dm'd you because yeah. i had remembered from reporting on your like journey in the yeah. keto diet that you were above like the single digits like, yeah. and i was like oh i hate jeff <laughs> like what is he doing that <laughs> and why can't i pass one yeah and i talked to dr wally and she like made me feel better because she said that you really can't achieve that kind of ketone production unless you're doing intermittent fast yeah is that true in your experience um well, well, if you eat, do, if you eat super ketogenic and you're super, super rigorous around not just carbs but also proteins, mm. because proteins actually convert into glucose through gluconeogenesis. Mm. So when a lot of people are trying to eat keto, they oftentimes overweight the protein load. So yeah. typically, it's like a four-one-one ratio: four, uh, four parts fat, one part wow. protein, one part carb. So protein often Ooh. ends up creeping higher. Yeah, uh, I definitely can see that was true my case and i also spent a lot of my like carb allowance on fruit which can catch up to you yeah i think like berries in particular um but like i know that like if you're going to like 0.9 that's like very good so like we've had people in the office who are like oh yeah i'm eating keto and like we jab them and like there's 0.3 it's like dude (laughs) nah (laughs) nah (laughs) back of the line no i mean it's just hard to do it because there's so many just carbs and proteins is hidden in everything yeah but yeah but, I, mean, I think 0.9 i mean typically over 0.5 keep it's like like classically like ketosis. right right so like you're definitely burning through yeah. fat reserves so i had a lot of energy i i one of the most magical things is i thought about food all the time like i was all not before keto okay. before keto i thought about food all the time and would like you know think about what my next meal was and where it was coming from and i snacked like religiously throughout the day and once I was like in the thick of the keto diet I would like look up at the clock and see it was noon and like it was time to eat lunch and I had like no bodily signals that that was time yeah Yeah. yeah. so when I wasn't thinking about food so much I actually think I was focusing on on work more and I really wished I had used some kind of like productivity Productivity tracking software like rescue time or something we use that yeah what is which one do you use? Rescue time, which is like a little background process. Like yeah, I really wish I had done something yeah. like that because I I felt more focused, I felt cleaner, um, and happier. I I think by then I wasn't really experiencing hangriness so much <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, and I I also like dove into the world of like the ketogenic online community yeah. and like ruled.me I want to say is like a a popular site and I went to them for tons of recipes and there are like mom bloggers who post uh, high fat um, recipes. I was introduced to uh, the term fat bomb, uh, the idea of like making a a meal that super um, fatty, super fatty. Because one of the hardest parts I think about the keto diet was just making sure I was consuming enough fat. Because like, you're not going to put butter on literally everything. Yeah. So what are the ways you can sneak it into your diet so you make sure that your body like has enough to fuel on? Um, so my go-to was cauliflower, like a cauliflower take on a loaded baked potato. So it was like 
mashed cauliflower with sour cream, cheese, bacon, chives. Uh, <laughs> Sounds pretty good. And the one thing I couldn't bring myself to do during the keto diet was putting butter in my coffee, which I remember seeing someone do at a wee fast right, once. Right, right. Um, and I've since then dabbled in a lot of butter coffees. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I get now why people do that because right. it's just like another way to sneak fat into your right. diet. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, months have passed and <laughs> I am sadly back on carbs. Which I'm why? so embarrassed to admit. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I will cycle in typically out of keto and, and, yeah. and into carbs. You need carbs for anaerobic exercises. Like carbs are useful for certain things. Yeah. It's just too hard for it to maintain. It's more like the indult or the the like the cravings were just really hard. I um it was really hard to maintain for me. Like even though I felt incredible, I missed my favorite foods. Like I missed pizza yeah. and spaghetti and <laughs> I'm also like cooking for my boyfriend who i think like didn't want to eat keto not so much (laughs) um and so we yeah right now i'm trying to convince him to do a vegan diet for another article on business insider but he's not so much into that one yet um have you shared a fun experience (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah i've not stuck with it because i just found it really difficult to maintain but i think i'm like making better choices still yeah i still bring my like block of cheese and salami to work every week right and i still eat nuts as my like go-to right. snack I've it seems like you're just like smarter on your balanced diet right yeah i think so i mean one question i've had these last few weeks is like you know i'm making better snacking choices and you know i i do make eggs for breakfast a lot right. more often than i used to but like do you think you can maintain some level of nutritional ketosis if you're only like half-assing it? You know what I mean? Like it's your your ketone production is not going to be there, but does it still count for something? Um. Well, if you're not depleting your glycogen, then you're then not producing not really. ketones. Okay. But I think like a lot of the emerging. I don't know if you've seen this latest study published a few weeks ago. Is published I know in the last the Pure Study, right? Like it just said it was an interesting result where. Um, overall mortality dropped with a little bit higher doses of fat and but this is not like ketogenic levels of fat this was like 10 percent which was like the lowest quintile of fat to 35 percent fat or fat Hmm. calories which is the highest quintile of fat wow um and folks in that top quintile lived longer over overall mortality had lower uh, cardiovascular incidences so it it was interesting so basically like i think some keto people stretch that result too far and saying that oh that's proven that keto is right well keto is not 35 percent fat that's still very very high carbs in the keto perspective but it seems that there's you know at least a a large data set this is 135,000 people showing that very very low levels of fat is probably not that good so i think it's like you're probably just getting to like a more sensible balanced diet where there's too much like carbs just floating around you're just like shifting into more i think i've definitely toned down my carb intake like there's there's no way i'm still above like 200 carbs a day like i was before doing keto um and it's your insulin levels like i i actually like oh yeah they plummeted when i last checked i was at 0.2 um that's good uh, wait i'd like it to be better but um I uh, 
I just re-upped on my supply of lancets and the test strips because okay. I want to start tracking again. Tracking like brings a level of accountability <laughs> and it kind of makes me competitive with myself. Yeah. So I think if I start getting back into that habit, maybe yeah. I'll, I'll stick with those. Yeah, I mean, more. I think the, so like, I think for myself, uh, a mix of intermittent fasting and eating ketogenic meals to break fast is like a helpful way to like not necessarily just like a spike in and out of ketosis pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. So like the way, you know, typically you store around 16 to 24 hours of glycogen. If you fast through that period, eat keto, you'll get into like 0 0.5 to 0 0.7 pretty yeah. quickly. So like that's how I kind of play with it without having okay. to be like, boom, like I'm eating, you know, butter and avocado and yeah. eggs and that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard to do. Like I, I understand completely that like, I think people that even say they eat keto are not like doing it properly unless they're measuring and showing like, you know, 1.0, 2.0 type yeah. numbers. Yeah. Um, it's um, so one thing that is really interesting to me right now, I've been writing about a lot is, is butter coffee, which I brought up earlier. Yeah. Um, I see it as an extension of like the keto movement. Yeah. Um, the keto trend is massive. You, have you looked at Google trends? It's just like, Oh, really? Well, yeah, let's, I mean, I'll just pull it up for you. Yeah, please do. I totally believe that because I think one of the ways we can tell something is going mainstream is when we start to see segments about it on the morning talk shows. Yeah. And the uh, it, there was a segment on GMA about the ketogenic diet a few months ago. And uh, my like dreams came true when recently the Today Show asked me to go on and so talk about my ketogenic diet experience. Today Show? It didn't work out. They ended up not doing the segment. But like the Today Show wanted to talk about the keto diet, so like that, that must be huge. mean it's a thing. I think the biology is just getting better. Like like just more doctors that are just like, okay, this is not just freaking crazy. I mean, yeah, it, it, it just like it just like it's interesting. Like it, it should. I think it, it makes sense how like these debates and these explorations where people are getting more open to like the options. Yeah, and I think there have been some like mainstream studies in the last few years that no longer make fat out to be the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and, and. I mean, there's some interesting authors been on the show, like Gary Taubes, who's like really talking okay. about like sugar yes. versus fat, like different industries where their different interests are like lobbying FDA and, and <sighs> USDA to do the different dietary requirements. I mean, just like it can get wow. like pretty conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite conspiracy theories happening yeah. within keto is um so i don't know if you know but cauliflower is like the new kale it's like the sexiest new vegetable <laughs> right okay between 2015 and 2016 sales of cauliflower in the u.s spiked something like 13 percent okay um google google in 2016 named cauliflower a rising star um according to its search trend okay. data um, and not only are we seeing people eat cauliflower in rice form in like the biohacking community, but brands like Trader Joe's and Green Giant and uh, Kroger's are selling like microwavable bags of riced cauliflower. Um, and it's like a really easy entry for people who want to like reduce their carb intake by right. swapping in carbs or swapping in cauliflower. The rice industry is furious. Apparently, uh, rice sales are dropping. Rice USA has like law is a lobby group for the right. rice industry, and they um, say that they plan to ask the uh, 
U.S. FDA to review its definition of rice because they're really pissed that the cauliflower people calling themselves rice. are calling themselves rice and like yeah. cutting in on their market. And I guess the consensus is that they probably don't have a case because no one owns the word rice. Right. Um, and similarly, like lobby groups for almond and soy milk have, um, or sorry, the dairy lobby groups have fought producers of almond and soy milk over the year because they're like, this is not, not real milk. milk. Yeah. Um, but they haven't made like much progress right. there. That so. seems even more sensible. Yeah. So I, you know, long live and prosper to cauliflower, yeah. but but the rice industry is coming yeah. for them. Well, I have some audience questions, and I think you're, oh. what you're talking about actually kind of relates to what some of the questions are. Like, what are your favorite keto meals? Hmm. And did you go to restaurants and places like <sighs> keto? I mean, like, I think Ugh. people in San Francisco, like, would you did you have yeah. did you find any Eating good out keto was spots? Definitely the hardest part um, because Can't I mean, anything. I couldn't eat anything. It felt like. Um, so I, by the way, these questions I'm, I'm, I'm converging from Daniel and Paul Benajeri, who's a, oh. a human colleague. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Hi, Paul. Um, so I, eating out for breakfast was like one of the easiest things to do. So on weekends I tried to make brunch dates, um, more so than like, let's go out for dinner because I could eat eggs and bacon okay, and yep. a lot of places let you like yeah. swap out, um, hash brown and grits for like a mixed green salad right. on the side. Um, some of my favorite keto meals were, um, I ate a lot of cauliflower rice. There's this on-demand meal delivery service called Meal Made in okay. San Francisco and they cater to like a paleo crowd um, and they had a lot of like rice or cauliflower rice based dishes. Um, I I went to like hamburger places a lot and just like ordered it with a lettuce wrap instead yeah. of bread. That yeah. was really easy. Like I still went to In-N-Out. I still went to Super yeah. Duper Burger. Um, That's kind of my order at In-N-Out. I have like well, I'll have, like, one normal burger and, like, a couple, like, uh, protein-style burgers. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, a lot of the times when I was eating out, I just had to, like, make compromises by ordering the things I wanted, but, you know, parting with the things I couldn't eat. So, like, I would eat tacos, but I'd eat the taco fillings, okay. like, out of the shell. The saddest thing I ever ate was um, I really craved pizza, and so we got a pizza, and I, like, ate the cheese oh, God. off of it like ah, and like <laughs> licked off the topping yeah. and left the crust and we ordered we ordered it to go like i wasn't yeah. gonna do that in public um <laughs> Ooh. But, I mean, that's really sticking to it i mean that's hard to do just it was so, so hard like, like crust is like a nice yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah that was probably the biggest test of my willpower i've ever experienced <laughs> is not eating the crust on that pizza but yeah. it was like doable yeah cool so Haley bossman Cool last name. Uh, ask what drove you to be a, a reporter, and what continues to drive you? I mean, it sounds Ooh. like it's a childhood dream, but like I guess, yeah. Is it? Is, did it stick up to your expectations now that you've been? Ooh. I know that you're a senior reporter. Huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved talking to people, and I loved telling stories. That's what drew me to being a reporter. Um, the thing that it has helped me to stick with it over the years is that it's just I'm 
always learning. And I think there are only so many careers that like give you that opportunity. I can dive into like any number of topics that I know remotely, like nothing about and hopefully emerge a few weeks later like a pseudo expert because I have the opportunity to talk to the experts right. in their fields and pick apart their brains and, and you know, uh, emerge with like what my readers need to know. Right. Um, so I, I like that this job helps me to learn all the time. Um, and I've, you know, four years is like a pretty long time to spend at an outlet, I think, in journalism. Um, but I have like bounced around beats, which keeps right. it fresh. I've also recently been doing a lot more photography work for the site. Um, the like benefit of working at an online newspaper instead of a print one is that there is like no word count limitation. You know, you don't have to worry about like uh, the money it costs to like print big, beautiful photos. Right. So we can go ham with like our our visual elements. And I try to do a lot of multimedia story storytelling, like you know, big photos where the captions read like text in a story right. sequentially. Um, and I just think that's a more complete way of telling a story. It gives the reader, you know, another window. That seems into the future, it. right? Like people, yeah. like obviously, For people sure. talk about like long form dying, but I mean, I don't know if it's dying or not. I mean, there's definitely a place for it. But like, if you're gonna have pictures, people like that's just a lot more accessible if you're just like, yeah. browsing through something. It just yeah, makes sense. We take the approach that length should be the exception, not the rule. Um, because most people don't have the like time or want to put Sit in the effort to read a long minutes. form. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of want to get the story out in like as few words as possible, which yeah. was a really hard and is still a hard transition for me to make, especially like from studying magazine journalism. Right. I wanted to work at like GQ magazine and New York Times and, uh, you know, places that put out features. And uh, yeah, you in in this like fast-paced media world you gotta be you gotta be on your toes yeah what's typical turnaround i mean i think just actually just getting a little bit i'm just kind of personally curious about the reporting world i know i've had people ask me like what's the best way to even like pitch you or Mm. or get your attention but even from there like how fast are you turning these things around? yeah because it it used to be like a month long you you get you put on an assignment you you come back in a month and you have a story and it's all you need to do for the month average turnover is probably like two to three days so it moves a lot quicker now i'm not a breaking news reporter which kind of sets me apart like there are definitely people in the bi newsroom who will you know make calls and aggregate the reporting out there and put up a story in 30 minutes Um, because I do more like evergreen stuff. I'm usually doing the reporting that week and publishing it before the end of the week. There are certain features that um, I'll spend months on, like the ketogenic diet story I wrote. Um, Yeah, that was a couple months long. That was like months of researching. Um, And then some stories that I do just have a lot more legwork involved in planning them. Um, I've done you know, tours of like super exclusive restaurants where Google and Apple executives eat. And those take a lot of convincing of the me convincing their PR people to like let me in and write this story about just how frivolous it, the dining experience is. Recently, I wrote a story about um, – it's called Hiroshi. It's a Japanese restaurant. I, think I saw that article. Oh, really? The pictures were yeah, wild. Pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So like two hundred dollars a person. Six six hundred dollars oh, okay. a head. They 
overnight, uh, yeah, <laughs> they overnight wagyu beef from Japan, and it's served with like sprinkled gold leaf on top. And there's only one table. There's one seating a night. The restaurant has no windows because they want to ensure like absolute privacy. Oh, yeah. um, and the guy wouldn't name names, but said like Google, Apple, and Oracle execs um, have come in to eat, and some even like hold presentations there because they have this like giant you know picture of a rainforest that like slides over and reveals a, yeah. a computer monitor behind it how was um, that that was a fun story right yeah that was fun um so you ate there no everyone thinks i got to eat there but you just took pictures understandably because it the headlines like inside the 600 hundred dollar restaurant yeah. where they eat and I, but i never get to eat at these places <laughs> Um, See, so they let you take pictures. They let me take pictures, though. And then they took the food out to the... Yeah. And you're like, yeah. give me a bite. The, <laughs> so they will either, like, make a few meals ahead of time for me to photograph, or they'll make a few on the spot for me. Um, but at the high-end restaurants, I never get to eat. And I'm guessing it's because the ingredients just, like, cost too much, and they might be, like... Some of the meals they might be just making ahead for that night. Like right. they, the Wagyu beef that I photographed was like for that night's dinner. Right. Um, but I also do a lot of stories on fast I convinced food the chains. editor to be like, hey, you get, you get a little bit a more personal color. This. Yeah. Personal uh, tasting experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Fast food restaurants always want to feed me though. I've covered a ton <laughs> of fast food chains here. And, um, and yeah, I always like leave. They, like, have to roll me out because I, I go to town there. But, um, yeah, I'm so one, like, trend I've been covering more lately is healthy fast food chains. Um, we see, like, an no, increasing... That's a good cycle. Like, what are the, you know, sort of wrapping up here, like, what are the interesting trends that you're excited about if there's folks out there that are working yeah. on interesting projects? Like, what, what, what is capturing your attention at this time? Yeah. So healthy fast food is definitely one of them because that market is, you know multi-billion dollar industry and it's just like begging to be disrupted i think yeah um so we're seeing like an increasing number of americans uh crave just healthier fast food yeah um places like mcdonald's and taco bell have like had to rethink their menus because of this trend in recent years and they're like sourcing better healthier ingredients for it but then we're also seeing like chains emerge that are just like want to serve you low calorie responsibly sourced meals right so actually just two weekends ago i went to amy's drive-through amy oh. makes the um frozen food meals that you'll find like in the grocery store they have a drive-through that is 100 percent vegetarian and i ate like a, a veggie bean burger and a non-dairy chocolate milkshake there the meal okay. was great um another one around here is local Oh, right. uh, they have a location in Oakland and they have one in um, it's a couple of celebrity chefs who are making yeah these, like and their restaurant made headlines this year because the New York Times like forerunning food critic Pete Wells uh, reviewed it which is kind of bizarre because like he wouldn't normally do fast he goes food for the restaurants star thing. Yeah, yeah but I think like they had the restaurant had like big names behind it right. and he just panned it like he was not about it oh. but there was like a lot of backlash because you know you're like holding a fast food restaurant to the same standards you might a michelin starred restaurant right. and the idea is that like you know this restaurant is like using it's like a sub seven five dollar meal yeah it was yeah. so cheap i yeah. think i got like 
three entrees and three sides for like less than 30 bucks or less than 20 bucks even. And, you know, like they're doing really good work. They're like using more um, organic and like sustainably sourced ingredients right. in fast food and they're still keeping it really affordable. So yeah. um, I think like all more power to them. Um, butter coffee, like I said, is like one that I'm following closely in the last month. Um, two brands have actually brought ready to drink bottled butter coffee to Whole Foods, yeah. um, which is like, you know, I feel like if you make it to Whole Foods, you've made it. Um, Bulletproof coffee and a specialty coffee brand out of Austin called Picnic, um, are both rolling out to like 400 Whole Foods stores this so fall. So duking it out. Yeah, Heads totally. Up, basically. I mean, totally. Like both kind of launched the same time. Yeah. It, it's kind of weird that they both launched at the same time. Um, and the smaller brand beat them to it. Um, <laughs> and then this is kind of unrelated, but, you know, I cover legal marijuana. Um, when California legalized uh, recreational marijuana, you can't buy it in stores yet. That doesn't come until 2018. Right. But you can legally gift it to people. Um, up to eight ounces of concentrate and uh, a gram, no, an ounce of dry marijuana flower. So it's like flour. the club donation yeah. thing. Yeah. So I could give you up to an ounce of pot if there was no money exchange, no money or services exchange. Okay. Um, and so because of that dynamic, we're seeing a lot of um, like hospitality businesses get in on it. So. In the last year, I've tried ganja yoga, which is you pay um, for a yoga class, and then there's some weed and there, and there's just weed there. Yeah, and it was like <laughs> as expensive as a normal yoga class. And every week they have like a different vendor donate supplies. That's so I hilarious. think it was like Bloom Farms that week had vape pens, and we all like vaped before class. And they also offered edibles. And that one, I don't know that I'll be returning to anytime soon because yoga is really hard high, <laughs> like <laughs> really hard. Um, I've also done um, a puff, pass, and paint class, which is just like those wine classes yes. where you like follow the instructor like and you paint a picture. Paint like, night, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is with weed. And uh, I just love that there are now experiences for people who prefer marijuana to alcohol. I'm, like, not a drinker. I think I might have a sensitivity to, like, gluten in beer because it always makes me feel like garbage. I've been drinking very rarely, too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, like, very embedded into our culture. Like, oh, totally. let's grab drinks. And it's like, ah, uh, like, right. let's have some soda water. With right. <laughs> yeah. Like, and... You know, whether you're, like, taking a meeting with a PR person or, like, grabbing, you know, hanging out with your friends after work, it's, like, always centered around alcohol. Right. And I think there's, like, a growing subset of Americans who prefer marijuana. And because of that, like, gifting structure that I talked about, um, we're seeing more legal experiences for that audience. So, like, the Puff Pass Paint class. Another really fun one um, is the Canasaur series which is a uh, like supper underground supper club okay. series um oh i think i've heard of it like and they basically like cook with marijuana cook with in marijuana the yeah you know even things like as this industry matures we're seeing like um the rise of microdosed products so these are mostly edibles 
um, that have as little as like five to 10 milligrams of THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. And, um, and it makes a lot of sense. sales of microdose yeah. products are just like taking off because it's a way for people to like consume responsibly. They can take it just like they would if they wanted to like get a buzz on from alcohol, right. like having a glass of wine at the end of the day. Um, and it's like no longer this actually, ugh, I hate admitting this. I really hope my parents don't watch. Um, like I went to a friend's house a couple weekends ago when I was visiting Boston and she like shared some edibles with me and they like weren't in a package. I don't know who she got them from. And it was like, oh my God, I had no, I, I'd forgotten like how spoiled I was by leaving in a, living in a legal state right. and going to a prohibition one. And it's like I unknown got, and you got super freaking high super freaking high and it was so uncomfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. we went to the museum of science <laughs> and i like begged her to like just go see the imax movie over and over again because like i didn't want to go walk around so you know consumption <laughs> is like only getting safer as um legalization yeah no i think that's, that's been feedback i remember my brother had a funny story where he was he he went to school at Berkeley and there was like you know edibles on on the counter and it's like yeah. he just ate some right and they were just like super dose like you just eat like a quarter of like you know yeah. the brownie and he was just like so high he was like oh my god <laughs> like what the hell is going on yeah um um just for the yeah. record I want to say that I am a medical marijuana patient and okay. I'm legally. Yeah, don't break any permitted. laws. Don't follow break laws. follow your local laws for all yeah. you uh, all the listeners out there. <laughs> Thank you for letting me make that disclosure. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean we only endorse legal and safe activities. Here, there we right? go. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, I've written a lot about like other uh, drugs that are popular in Silicon Valley, like ayahuasca, mm, which is um, yeah. a like plant based psychedelic, and cacao is the new one huh. um people are eating like raw chocolate that right. they say makes them um it like increases your blood flow so it supposedly just like makes you a happier person huh. um but i haven't i've yet to give those a spin um i think i'm gonna stick with my like cheese eggs and butter for now maybe <laughs> we'll, these are future stories yeah <laughs> yeah cool and then I guess the wrap up here, yeah, how do people reach you? I mean, I think it sounds like there's a bunch of, I mean, it's super interesting to hear your full spectrum of experiences, right? I think a lot of people enter the world of biohacking uh, through a lot of different routes, right? Either it's like sort of pseudo forced in the sense that mm. you got your <laughs> face broken, you had to like <laughs> sip a, a, right, a right. solent, uh, you know, wanting to optimize oneself or all that. So I think it's awesome to hear your sure. particular path to be like, hey, like, I think more and more people are going to be adopting certain parts of biohacking into every, you know in, into into everyone's lifestyle. Just like everyone is using computers in, in some part of their you know yeah I everyday lifestyle. I think like we see companies in biohacking going more niche, and that's like opening up doors for people who want to get into it. Like I would never have dabbled in nootropics back when it was like something that only existed on Reddit, right. but. You know, with companies like Human existing, yeah. there's just like a level of ac accountability there that makes me feel comfortable trying these products. Um, so yeah, if you're an entrepreneur and you're working in the biohacking space, I would love to hear from you. Um, I don't know if, if now you're gonna have a deluge of emails. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, so generally, you know, 
email is best when talking to reporters. I think most of us hate getting phone calls. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone wants to be like, oh, who's this? Yeah. Um, in your pitch, try to make it a personal email. I hate getting like email blasts where you can Hello, just... Hello, whom it may concern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like make it personal. Yeah. You can always tell the ones that are like copy and pasted because the font is like different every other paragraph. <laughs> um, and don't do that thing where you're like, oh, I just read your story on how this San Francisco skyscraper is sinking and leaning. And I thought you might be interested in my totally unrelated product. <laughs> like yeah. I, it drives me crazy when people like- It's too cheesy. Fake read it's super my story. Cheesy, yeah. And yeah, they like are so cheesy. Um, and make sure the pitch tells me like exactly what it is. If I read a pitch and at the end of it, I like don't understand what this product is or who it is meant for, I'm probably just not going to respond. Because there's too much cognitive load. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then once we get to the interview, um, you know, don't say things that you don't want printed. I like Scaramucci style. (sighs) Yeah. But I, I guess you had a personal story there. Uh, I mean, if people got angry because they yeah, said something, and you're yeah. like, "Dude, I just wrote this story recently, um, and the source was really unhappy with me that I included these quotes." And I think I, I recently wrote down this Joan Didion quote on a post-it note and put it on my wall that I wanted to share. It's something like, I'm paraphrasing. Um, you know, I am so like. Uh, physically unobtrusive and small that people forget my interests as a reporter always run counter to theirs. I don't know that my interests always run counter to yours, but my job is never to serve the source, but instead the reader. I'm like nobody's press agent. I'm a reporter. So if you don't want to sound dumb don't say dumb things (laughs) and it seems obvious but i guess like what i but i guess it's a part of your job is to like is to be is elicit like some truth from the source yeah and i think like you know i take a pretty conversational approach to my interviews and i'm like generally pretty friendly so i think people like forget sometimes that they're like talking to a reporter but keep that in your back in the back of your mind and also I never mind if people want to include their like marketing person or PR person on the call or like bring them along to the meeting. And if you think that that person's presence will like help you, yeah, and like keep you on message, like I I don't mind at all. You're a professional. You don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I'm you know always happy to hear from people. If I don't get back to you right away, you know I get dozens of pitches a day and please bear with me feel free to ping me again and again but maybe not like every day in a row (laughs) um and my email is m robinson at businessinsider.com and you can reach me there awesome thanks so much malia this is a great conversation thanks jeff as always uh find us on google play youtube apple and soundcloud We'll definitely stay in touch and, 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 and follow your stories. I mean, I think you're doing great work in just covering all the craziness of, of what people are doing. So I, I think it's personally super interesting. I think it's also just good for the biohacking community to get you know the stories and the people and the efforts out there. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. See you guys next time.